Right. Hey, good morning, Sycamore View. How are you? It's great to be with you. Hey, can, uh, this, this morning was just so moving to me, the worship service, Stephen and Julia, what you did at communion. Mm. If you were blessed by their communion thoughts, just a show of hands, please. Can we just thank God, put our hands together and thank God for this morning already. <clears throat> I want to welcome all the guests who were here, those who were joining us on live stream, and uh, just so glad you're with us today. And I am honored to be on this stage with my good friend, uh, Sarah Brooks. Sarah was raised in this church for about seven years. So Sarah, just want to welcome you back to Sycamore View Thank Memphis. Thank you, it's good to be here. We're grateful to have you. If you have heard Sarah preach before at an event, can I see a show of hands, those of you in the room? All right, we have a number of you here. Sarah, your family's also here. Kurt, who was the preacher for about seven years before I came, and you have, I don't know how many family members you this have in the room today. This whole section is pretty much just my family uh, right here. We welcome your yeah. family back today. Uh, Sarah, so uh, I'm in a series right now called Fearless. Mm -hmm. You were here back in January, and Casey and I have gotten to know you fairly well over the last few years as we've talked a lot about the kingdom and uh, what God is doing in and through you. So I wanted to have you here to be a part of this Fearless series. So today we're going to be talking about Fearless with Technology mm -hmm. because this is especially of yours, a platform God has given you to speak into a lot of lives. But before we get there, you and I do have a couple of things in common. Yes. Quite a few, actually. We do have quite a few. Yeah. One is we both have a Dallas-Fort Worth, Memphis, Abilene kind of connection. Now, we yes. went about this differently. I went from Dallas-Fort Worth to Abilene to Memphis. Mm -hmm. You went from Memphis to Abilene to Dallas-Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to ask a question. On the count of three, okay. we have to give the answer to this question. We have okay. not rehearsed this at all. No. I have no clue what you're going to say. I'm nervous. I don't know. What is the best barbecue restaurant in Memphis? Three. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. In Memphis or all three? Just, just because... in, let's just, can we just do Memphis? Oh, man, yeah. Okay, on the count of three. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Three, two, one. Coopers. Central. Oh, what, is that one? What'd is you say? Hooper's one? Hooper's. Is that a, is that a barbecue? No. No, so okay. So, okay, so that was bad. A, we should have rehearsed the, that. that. The no, first no. question, I win, you lose. I get this Wait, one right. Okay, so let me ask the next one. Let me ask the next one. Best barbecue place in Abilene, and if you get this wrong, I'm walking out. Okay. Okay? All One, right. two, three. Harold's. Sharon's. What? <laughs> Harold's, Josh? It, it's not around anymore. It, we could have done past president. It's legacy far exceeds its time. All right. Like, Let's go with one more question. We okay. haven't rehearsed this, because we really do have a lot of meat and good content yeah. we're bringing to you. I'm, but I'm starting. We're not starting off well. Favorite Memphian. We... Favorite Memphian of all time. Okay. Three, two, one. Shane Mike Conway. Shane Battier? I don't know. He was like the face of Memphis for okay. a long time. I get this one right you again. Do. You I get know. it wrong. Who did you even <laughs> say? Who'd you say? I said Mike Conley. Okay. I'll, I'll tell cool. you more about Mike later. All okay. right. Okay. Sarah, I'm so glad you're with us. Another thing we have in common is that we're both preacher kids. Yes. How was it growing up as a PK? So I, was, I grew up as a preacher's kid here for part of my time. Uh, and we've talked about this before. Being a preacher's kid is kind of an interesting gig because I feel like people have expectations of you. Either you are the kid who's supposed to be perfect or you are the kid who's a closet rebel. There's really not another option of preacher kid. <laughs> he was the rebel, I'm assuming. <laughs> probably, I don't know. You're probably correct. I was the perfect kid, obviously. Um, but... You know, being a preacher's kid is odd because it, a lot of times it feels like you're sharing your family and your parents with Jesus. You're like fighting time with Jesus to be with your family. 
And so in an ordinary job where it's okay to be mad that dad's at a board meeting, you're like, I, I wish he didn't have to travel for work. I wish he didn't have to do these things. When you're in ministry, it's really easy to justify everything. And so you're like, I, I'm kind of mad that he's at another funeral or that we have to go to another deathbed or that's the same thing. Pre deathbed precedes. Anyway. To be with the sick, um, something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's really easy to, to feel like you're fighting the church for your family and then to feel guilty about that. Like, I feel guilty that I'm, I'm having to share my family. That makes me feel bad. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a weird, I don't know, it's weird. So I was a PK from the age of eight through the rest of my childhood. My dad's now in his 31st year of preaching. And you're right, because, you know, in ministry, and there are other jobs like this, too, that you can convince yourself that any opportunity that comes your way is an opportunity to say yes to it. It's an opportunity to talk about Jesus, to help somebody who is hurting. So, so I get some of that. I'm now in a position where I was a PK. I mm -hmm. guess I kind of still am. But I'm also raising PKs, because yeah. that's all my kids have ever known. Mm -hmm. And I remember I had a good friend of mine when I was wrestling with, uh, you know, there were just, there were meetings that go to at night and, and long days. And... And there was a, a funeral that came up one night, and I was asked to do the funeral. Mm -hmm. But I had been away from my family for three straight nights to meetings, and I, and I didn't know if I should do it or not. So I reached out to some of my good friends, some of our good friends who were in ministry today. And I had one who told me, he had a, this guy I reached out to who's been preaching for a few decades, has a son who has really struggled in his life with faith and just a lot of struggles. And he told me, he said, Josh, I would give one night to tuck my kid in bed and pray with them over doing a thousand funerals. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it really ministered to me and helped me, yeah. you know, in in life, we've got to say no to some mm -hmm. things to be able to say yes to others. Yeah. Now, you are currently, you and Taylor, your husband's here somewhere and your three younger boys, mm -hmm. Taylor. And you guys are members at the Hills, which is the largest church of Christ in the world. They don't market themselves that way. But God has given you a place where you serve at this church occasionally mm -hmm. on weekends and in, a, in other capacities. And now you're back at Sycamore View, mm -hmm. a church where you were raised. But when you were raised here... The church at that time wasn't in a place where you could be on a stage doing what you do today. So what's it like for you to be back in a church? In some ways, you call home, mm -hmm. co-preaching with me on this Sunday. So kind of surreal. Uh, in some ways, it feels very natural. I, God has been very sweet to me this spring. I, I've gotten to be here, and I was here in Memphis in January at my old school, and now I'm here at my old church. And also this spring, I got to go to the other church that raised me when I was little before we moved to Memphis. And it's just really sweet to look out at these faces at, these, at my home places that are just like looking at me like this, you know? And uh, We raised her. I we know. Raise like, her. I, I am so proud of this church, and I'm so proud of just the incredible ways that God takes all of our micro stories, and he weaves them all together for his kingdom. And, and this is a cool moment that we're intersecting again in our story, and it's just, it's neat. Yeah, so there, uh, let's, let's talk about calling just for a moment, yeah. because both of us have times that we can look back in our lives when we feel like God has called us into, into forms of ministry mm -hmm. and, and kingdom work. Uh, you know, for me, I feel like people ask me sometimes, when were you called into preaching? I felt called into discipleship at the age of 16, and into ministry at the, at the age of 17, and into preaching at the age of 18. And since the age of 18, I've had no plan B in my life. Sometimes people will say, what would you do right now if you weren't preaching? And I don't even really know how to answer that. I don't know. Maybe I would coach high school football. I would wrestle alligators. I'm not sure, all right? Preaching's like plan A. There's, there's no plan B. At the time of my life, there were two different things God used to, to kind of grow that, that voice in mind. One was I played 
football in Dallas, mm-hmm. high school football. Uh, my, my career didn't go beyond that. <laughs> but if you, if you play football in, in Texas, it's a, it's a really big deal. So God revealed to me my last year of high school that I'm giving you a voice, use your voice. Mm-hmm. And I began to speak a lot at FCA and Young Life and football devos. And we began to experience a revival on our campus where I saw dozens of our friends come to know the Lord. And it was at that time, too, I began working at CC's Pizza. I was mm. the cutter. I didn't the work at the buffet. The I cut yeah. the pizzas. Mm-hmm. It was the largest CC's in the nation for over 15 years. So wow. I say that just to say there were always a lot of people coming through there. Mm. And the owner of that CC's is the greatest evangelist I've ever known today. Hmm. where he, through him, hundreds, if not thousands of people have come to know the Lord. And at CC's, we would often close down at night, we would clean up, and then there would be Bible studies going on in all the back rooms. So at that time in my life, God was putting people in my life to mentor me, teaching me what it means to declare the word, proclaim the word, and to see fruit come from it just drew me into this story that I've been a part of now for 20 years. Yeah. Now, the calling on your life is uh-huh. part of why you're here today. Yeah, because you do absolutely. have a calling of lordship and discipleship, but there's a mm-hmm. specific calling God has given you. So talk to us about that just for a moment. Yeah, so it started with a prayer. When my oldest was about 18 months old, I started praying. I knew I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. I knew that's the lane he called me to. But I also wanted to use my gifts at that time. Like, as a stay-at-home mom, what does ministry look like? Obviously, this is my greatest ministry right here, my, my son. But how can I use my gifts? What does that look like? And he put this message on my heart about social media. He started opening my eyes to technology and the rift between teenager and parent and how I fit perfectly in the center of that. And I could kind of translate for both generations what was going on with technology. So he gave me this message and he told me to post it on my blog. And my blog was this like dinky thing that had pictures of my kids that only my mom would look at, you know? So I'm like, I mean, I could post it there, but I, I don't know why. So I did. I, I posted this, this um, blog about social media on my platform, and it went viral. Like, it exploded. And I started getting calls from people all over the country, like, could you come speak at our conference? You can write any books you've written on the subject. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't. I, I actually don't know what I was talking about. I wasn't, like... I was in my bed watching Netflix while I was like, I don't, this is not a thing that I do. And as I'm telling them this, I heard God saying, oh, P.S., this is a thing we're going to do. And through that, he has opened so many doors for me to get to uh, share the gospel and to, to help people with technology. And it has become such a passion of mine. And the thing um, that's so cool about it is it was one of those moments in life that I realized, oh, you know me. You know everybody, but you know me. You know my passions, and you know my gifts, and you have lined something up for me that is, like, so much better than I could have imagined, and it's just been awesome. Yeah, so you're here today in a series about fearless. So we've talked about fearless courage, fearless prayer, and today we want to talk about fearless technology. Mm-hmm. To get there, I just, I just want to ask real quick, show of hands, how many, of you have, how many of you have some form of social media outlet in your life? Just a show of hands, Okay. It's a lot of hands. Now, put your hands down because I need to ask, how many of you do not engage in social media at all? Zero. A few of you? All right, we do have a few. And of those hands, 
I bet a couple of them are lying. But I, I think most of the people yes. were being, you were telling the truth. I bet some of you were telling the truth. They're All like, right. does LinkedIn count? <laughs> so, but here's no. the deal. All right, for some of you who raise your hand, for you have a social media account, you may hear to what I, and especially Sarah, has to say today. And, you, and there may be some changes that need to be made in your life. For some of you who raise your hand and said you don't have a social media account, there may be something we, have, we say today that will lead you to maybe having one in some capacity. I hope all of us leave this day with some prayer in our lives of what it means to surrender all we have, especially how we engage with technology to the Lordship of Jesus. So this is what we want to talk about today. How do we steward something that's so important? Because even mm -hmm. those of you who raise your hand saying there's no social media in your life, you are part of a church and you are part of a culture where a lot of people do. And this is something we've got to be able to talk about. And I think talk about in a local church setting where we can be inspired and encouraged and, and confronted where we need to be confronted. Yeah. Absolutely. So growing up, uh, we had these epic family reunions because my grandpa who's here right now had like a billion D siblings who all had kids, who had kids, who had kids. So when all of our family got together, we were the size of a small nation. And I remember being at these family reunions, as all siblings do, even when they're 90, they would start talking about their childhood, right? They start swapping notes on things that happen. And as a kid, I would listen to my grandpa and to my great aunts and uncles, and they would tell all these stories from their childhood that I just frankly didn't relate to. They would say, well, then we went down to the store and bought candy for a penny. I'm like, what? When have you ever been able to buy anything for a penny, you know? And then they talk about, well, and then we went uphill both ways. And even as a nine-year-old, I'm like, uphill both ways? doesn't make sense, you know. And they, and they would say, and then we were on the Oregon Trail. And I'm just kidding. They're not that old. But <laughs> they would tell these stories. And even as a kid, they'd say, you know what I mean? And I'd think, no, I don't know what you mean. Because that sounds so different than my world. I didn't understand their world because it wasn't the world that I lived in. And it's crazy because our, our childhoods were only two generations apart. And I remember even as a kid thinking, wait, why am I in this generation? Why do I live now? Why, how did I end up here? Does it matter? Is this just kind of random? And then I, I came to these verses tucked away in Acts that have become some of my favorites. And it's found in Acts 17 when the Apostle Paul is going around preaching and he comes up on this group of philosophers. And these guys spend their days just exchanging ideas. They spend their days trying to find meaning in life, listening to the latest message, the latest trend, trying to figure things out. And they hear about Paul, so they bring him in. They're like, all right, you tell us what message it is that you're proclaiming. And so Paul comes into this group, and he looks around at all of the idols they have and all of the different objects of worship, and he looks around and he says, hey, it looks like you guys are looking for meaning. It looks like you're really looking for answers, and I have one for you. The thing you're looking for is not an idea. It's a person, and his name is God. And he's a creator who has created all people and all things. And then he goes on to say in Acts 17, verse 26, it says, From one man God created every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. So does it matter where I am? Yes. God did that with precision. We talk a lot about how God knows us. God knows you. He does know you. He knows who you are. He also knows when you are. He knows where you are, and he has done that with incredible purpose. And here's the purpose. It's in the next verse. Acts 17, verse 27. 
He did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He knows where we are and when we are, and he's just as close now to us as he's ever been. Despite some of the things, I don't know, Josh, if you've seen these, but despite some of the headlines we read today about how the world is just spiraling and we're never going to come back from it, despite the Facebook rants that you see where you're like, where is God? He's gone. No, 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 no. No, he is just, just as close now as he's ever been. And he has stationed his people throughout time to be able to point to him. Like when and where we are as kingdom warriors matters, and it was done with purpose. So if God knows when and where we are, we probably should too. We should know about the culture he's put us in. That's why we're talking about this right now. And let me give you, because of technology, let me give you kind of like a super gross, not like ew gross, but vague gross, you know what I mean? Anyway, super... (laughs) super big summary of where we are in our culture. We're living in a time of instantness. You know, we can sit on our couch and order groceries and have them delivered within an hour from Prime Now. We can get on Netflix and Hulu and watch thousands of different videos and TV shows. We don't have to wait for the radio to play our jam. We open Spotify and do it ourselves. Like, we don't have time to wait. That, that's a thing of the past. We don't wait anymore. Even when we are forced to wait, like at a doctor's office, we're not waiting. We're not sitting there doing nothing. We're answering work emails. When I get to a red light, I ain't got time to wait for this. I'm going to answer texts. We don't wait. Everything is instant. We also live in a culture of, of complete and utter distraction. You know, Americans, it, they, they think that Americans see about 5,000 advertisements a day. 5,000 ads, brands, promotions, whatever it is, 5,000. They also estimate that the average American adult spends about 11 hours interacting with media a day. The number four years ago was nine and a half hours. We're already up to 11 hours four years later. And that's not just media. Like, that's narratives. That's 11 hours straight of narratives coming at your face, telling you, here's what you should think. Here's what you should buy. Here's what you should look into. Have you seen this? Don't miss this. Get mad about this. I mean, it, it's, that's a lot of, over, of, of information, and it's completely overwhelming. Our ads are targeted so specifically these days, and we, know, we are told exactly who to be and exactly what to buy. I got an ad the other day still offended. It was, it was for better fitting underwear. And I was like, I feel personally attacked right now. It showed up on my Facebook and I was like, where have I gone wrong? Like, what is happening right now? Man, we are, we are such a distracted culture. There are so many voices coming at us. That said, we also live in a culture because of technology we have access to information we have never had before. Because of technology, we can connect to people so specifically and so globally, we've never had the opportunity to do that before. We have the world at our fingertips, and it's incredible. But just like the good gifts the Lord gives and the the platforms he can do good on, we have an enemy who comes and tries to twist it into something bad. 
And that's what we're going to talk about today, because I think it's been twisted a little. Yeah, so, so God knows when we are. So even though God works outside of time, like if we were to ask God, like, God, here's what went on in 2018. God's not like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm outside of time. Like, God understands time. God connects with <laughs> us in time. Now, what, a lot of what Sarah just said, I think should freak us out a little bit. And a lot of times, the way I hear it is we freak out for the next generation or the mm. younger generation. But go to a ball game with my kids and look around, and it's not just the younger people who are connected to devices. It's all generations who are mm. staring at devices and missing out a lot of things that are happening in the world. So what, one thing I love about the point Sarah was making is so much has advanced in the last 15 years with technology, even with science and medicine. There's so much that is advanced, but there's not a moment when the hosts of heaven where God is looking at the host of heaven saying, I have no clue what to do right now. I didn't see this coming. Because part of the good news is God is behind a lot of the advancement, creating avenues of communication that can be beautiful. And in the world today where things have advanced, where maybe God wasn't the one behind it, God knows how to redeem it. God cares about stepping in and trying to redeem it and restore it to a purpose that doesn't disrupt the unity in families and in the world, but creates it for, is able to do something with good. Because it's one thing I love about God, that God is still just as creative as God has ever been. God's still just as creative as God was in Genesis 1. So when it comes to God, he is not unaware, let me say it differently, God is fully aware of this time and this place and how to steward what we have for the good of the kingdom. And he's placed us here. He's not just aware of it, he has placed us here with the mission of sharing his news, and, and that's what we get to do. So God not only knows when we, are, when we are, he's given us a mission. And it's not unlike Paul's own mission. In Acts 26, just a few chapters later, he's in front of a different crowd, and he tells them, hey, when I was on the road to Damascus, this light came, and it wasn't just the light, it was the light of the world. It wasn't just a light, it was the light of the world came to me and said, I am sending you to my people. I'm sending you to show them light instead of darkness and to show them God's power. That's what I'm sending you to do. And what I love about Paul as a, as a minister, as a preacher, is that he was a real dude with a real jacked up past. If anyone was going to filter out their past, you think Paul would have done it. If there is anybody who would have angled his life in a way and captioned himself and written himself in a way as to camouflage and kind of gloss over his humble beginnings, you would have think he would have done it, right? When he changed careers from executioner to preacher, you think he would have like scrubbed his profile a little bit, but he didn't. And all throughout his teachings, he's constantly saying, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Here's a guy who allowed the light of the world to come into his brokenness and shine in such a way you couldn't deny the power of God. And that's what he asks us to do. Like, that's still our mission today. Our mission is the same. We've been sent at this time to spread light and to show the power of God. The problem is we live in a culture that loves filters, don't we? We live in a culture where we love to promote our best side. We live where we love to post. We're not going to post the, the messy. You're not going to look at my kitchen. Before I take a picture, I'm going to look at the background and make sure everything's in order. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post a picture of my family, not where my kids are losing their minds. I'm going to post a picture of my family on the beach where we're all wearing like white and denim and we're standing in the whippoorwills things. I'm going to post that picture. I'm going to post it where my kids look the smartest and my marriage looks the strongest and I look the most generous and I'm the most successful. And that, that's what I'm going to post. And if you've lived on, on earth for more than two minutes, you know that's not real life. We don't live in Pinterest, we live in real life. You know that. So when you're looking at, people, at people's posts, you're like, I see how smart your kid is. I've met him. <laughs> Let's not send in that mint's application just yet, you know? I'm being honest. Am I being honest? I'm being That's honest. Real. That's real. Preaching. We all know that one. <laughs> I mean... The thing that made Paul such a powerful witness, I think, is that he never forgot where he was when grace found him. And when we forget where we were when grace found us, when we forget whose power it is we're operating with, we end up in the land of fake perfection. And it is the most isolating, the most burdensome, the most lonely place to operate. And to be honest, if we can do it on our own, if we've got this, what are we doing here? We're wasting a perfectly good Sunday morning if we've got things under control. So I posted a picture on Instagram on Thursday, my own Instagram. I posted a picture from the Target dressing room because I saw the mirror, but you know how there's like multiple mirrors and they don't do anybody any favors at all. This one particular time it did do me a favor because I saw in the mirror behind me that my shirt was on backwards. And so all morning I'd been wearing a pocket on my back like an idiot. All morning had a pocket on my back. And I posted that on Instagram because it made me laugh. I can't tell you how many people messaged me, like direct messaged me and were like, thank you for saying that. I thought I was the only one. I'm like, it's a pocket. Like, why would we not say that? When I was here in January, we went to lunch, me and Josh and Casey, and uh, Josh was like, let's take a picture before we leave. And so we did. (laughs) And he looked, Casey was in it too. We took the picture, and Josh looked at it, and he's like, what is happening with my arm? I mean, he was like, I don't, I don't know what. Can you, can you demonstrate? What, do you even remember? I don't remember. Okay. Don't. He, he looked like a goob, and uh, <laughs> he was like, he's like, let's take another picture. And without missing a beat, Casey said, no, 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 post that one. And he did. And like anyone looking at it wouldn't think twice about it. But I thought, isn't this what we do? Man, we're missing so much in life because we're trying to filter it and edit it all first. Man, God didn't call us, like when we started following Jesus, we didn't suddenly live above earth. We didn't suddenly live these lives where things don't get messy. We live real life that has been made holy. I see too many of our students coming in crying and just their self-esteem is in the toilet and they'll show me a picture of a girl on their instagram and they'll say i just i don't how does she always look like this and do you know how many pictures she took to get there honestly do you know how long it took her to look like that preaching jesus with our lives physically and digitally means we show the world what real life made holy looks like. Our living hope, that's what our life looks like. Life is only found in God. The world does not have life. No matter what it's packaged as, no matter how they brand it, that is not life. That is cheap and it will break. 
God has given us life, and he's made it fun and funny. He's given us food and, and good gifts to share, and they all showcase his personality, and that's what he's asked us to show. Yeah. So I love the point one Sarah's talked about is that God knows when we are. God knows what to do with these times. God knows who we are. So there's a, a, a mission here about, uh, or you're talking about mission, about identity, what God has called us to. And God has called all of us to surrender everything we have to him. A few thoughts come to mind that I was just jotting down. Let me just toss these out and see if any of them stick. You talk about editing posts. Mm. And it's a lot easier to try to, you can edit a post, but it's not as, when, when it comes to our lives and our past, don't we wish we could edit our past the way we can edit a post on social media? But it doesn't work that way. It's a lot easier to form a post to put on social media than it is to take time with God to transform a heart. Mm. And if you want to say yes to God, you've got to be able to say no to some things in the world. You can't say yes to everything and yes to God and think your heart's being transformed into the image of Jesus. I don't know if you know what a word cloud is or a wordle, where you could take a, a page of a book, put it in a wordle, and it'll form a word cloud. You've seen these. It's uh, the, the words or the ideas that are most prominent will come to the forefront, and then smaller words that are less significant go to the back. So there are some people who have taken like the entire like Lord of the Rings book or a book and have put it in a wordle, and it's kind of cool. You can do this with books in the Bible, and it'll show you the words that come to the front. And I remember a few years ago, somebody asked me the question and said, if I were to take all of your social media posts in your life, put them in a wordle, and then it's shown at your funeral, would you be proud of that? <laughs> like, would the words and ideas that come to the forefront be something you want to be known for? And if not, what needs to change? Does the way that you currently steward technology, is it somebody you would be proud to be, or is it somebody you don't really care to be? We also live in a time now where whether you like it or not, the best narrative in the world wins. The best story wins. When it comes to evangelism, when it comes to investing in a generation, the best story wins. And we've got to make sure when it comes to being a church that cares about the gospel and the good news of Jesus, the best story wins. And there are a lot of people in the world, let's face it, who look at the church and see the way many Christians are trying to live out the story, and it's not one that's appealing that they care to enter into. The best narrative wins. And Sarah's also talked in some, some other venues about you've done some polls, you talked to a lot of people about social media, and what it is people gravitate to the most and one thing she has found, and one thing I've found in a lot of discuss discussions, and if you read books on this kind of stuff, is people often gravitate to the things that show how we value people. Hmm. That what adds value to life. Not being attracted to things that take value away from life. So, one thing I, I think that is important for us to talk about in a local church is the gospel and strategy. Hmm. Would Paul use social media? Would the early church have engaged in social media to advance the gospel? And I don't think, Paul, I don't think the early church would have been anti-social media. I don't think they would have said, no, we can't use that. I think the early church would have said, okay, what's an avenue of communication? How do we surrender this to the goodness of Jesus? And how do we use it and leverage it for the good of the world? Now, this doesn't mean that the only thing we ever post on social media is like precious moments quotes, right? Right. It's that, I mean, we do have a life, and I know you're going to talk about this more in a minute. We do have a life and things that should come about as we talk about our lives. 
But what does it mean to fully immerse what we do as a church and who we are as the people of God to promote the things in life that really matter? Yeah. So what we've done so far is kind of taken big picture. Like, let's take a step back from technology and really look at it from, from kind of a bigger picture. I think you have to start with that lens because we get so hung up in the weeds on, on the platforms and the apps and the different things that we do, when really it's so much bigger than that. Like, we need to take a step back and look at our end game. What, what's the point of this? What are we doing? So God knows when we are. He's given us our mission, but what's it going to take to get there? Because living fearless doesn't happen by accident. You don't just wake up one day and think, man, I'm killing it. Would you look at that? How did that happen? No, being fearless and living a life of, perfect, of purpose takes a ton of decisions along the way. Sometimes I worry that, that our biggest threat, worry is not a good word, but I think that maybe our biggest threat to our culture and to our church when it comes to technology is that we don't think about it. We have been lulled into autopilot because unless we are actively engaging intentionally and making decisions, what we're doing is allowing those 5,000 ads to drive us. And what we're doing is allowing that 11 hours of media narrative to tell us who we are and why we matter and where we're going. I worry that we're a little bit like Wally. Have you guys seen the movie Wally? It's it's about this dystopian future where uh, these humans just ride on these hover chairs and they're on these preset tracks. They, they hover around this space resort. They're given all their food to eat. It's just in a cup through a straw, like a burger ground up into it. It's gross. Um, they're told what to wear. They're told what to watch. They all sit in these little chairs and hover around and they have a screen in front of them. And they're all just robots going around. But it's not until a real robot named Wally and his robot girlfriend, it's very romantic, Eva. It's not until Wally and Eva come and say, what are, you, what are you doing here? We heard Earth was such a great place. This doesn't look great at all. It's not until this little robot comes and wakes people up and says, what are you, what's the plan here? That the people get out of their chairs and they're like, wait, what are, how did we end up here? Where are we? And I think that we're a little bit like Wally. If we are not making active decisions, then decisions are being made for us. If we are not controlling technology, then technology is controlling us. If we are not taking an active role, then we're just like Wally. Romans 13, 11 says this, the hour has come for you to wake from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Listen to all the verbs in that. It's not a passive text. Wake up. Put aside darkness, it says. Put on the armor of light. To be fearless with technology, we have to wake up. We have to start using technology instead of being used by it. We have to start making decisions with the end in mind. Snap out of autopilot and wake from our slumber. Because the day of salvation is coming. And is the way we're living online pointing to it? Or are we just kind of doing what we do? Because that's what we do. We're in our little chairs and we just subscribe to the loudest voices, the quickest voice. What happens is if everyone has done this at some point or another, you blob yourself away. <laughs> you get online to find one thing and then six hours has gone by and you're like, I've watched every cat video on YouTube. What just happened? And then a month goes by, and then a year goes by, and then suddenly you look up in life and you're like, I I'm nowhere near where I wanted to be. How did I get here? 
The default option for us, for our culture, is just to go with the flow, to get in our little chairs and go wherever social media tells us to go. But I think we could do it so much better, don't you? Maybe for you being fearless, I'm going to go through a list of things here. I'm just going to throw them out. And I want you to think, what does it mean to be fearless for you with technology? Is there something in here that the Lord is going to convict you on? Write it down. These are not just a random list of things. These are things that I try to practice. As much as I talk about social media, I wrestle with it every single day still. I ask these questions every single day. So what does being fearless look like for you? Maybe for our teenagers, it's being okay ending the Snapchat streak. Like, what's our end game there? Because it kind of just feels like we're slaves to a device. And I think we're better than that. Maybe for you, being fearless means setting boundaries for when and where you're going to answer work emails. Maybe it's reclaiming this work-life balance that has long since been distorted. Maybe being fearless for you means charging your phone in the kitchen and reaching for, I'm going to reach this way, reaching for your spouse in the morning (laughs) instead of the news. Maybe it means charging your phone in the kitchen and reaching for the Bible in the morning instead of Facebook. Maybe being fearless means filtering the Netflix shows you watch. Like if your watch list looks identical to everyone else's at work, is that by, by purpose? Do you have intentionality with that? Are you pointing people to God who's never farther than a reach? Or do you have a little case of FOMO, a little fear of missing out there? Maybe being fearless means evaluating the narratives you're subscribed to. If every time you get on Twitter, you're riled up about the right or the left or the whatever it is, stop it. (laughs) Unfollow. If every time you close an app, you feel worse than when you started, unsubscribe. If the voices you are not allowing access to you, if they are not grace and truth, then get out. Maybe being fearless means unplugging and taking consistent breaks. Every weekend I delete my social media apps. As much as I love it, it has to turn off. Every weekend I turn them off. So whether it's TV or gaming or social media, whatever it is, we have to unplug from it. Maybe being fearless means not reaching for the camera, but instead just sitting in the moment with the person right in front of you. Maybe being fearless means taking someone to lunch and asking how they feel about something instead of debating them in the comment section. Maybe being fearless means dialing back the filters and starting to post authentically about the life you've been given that's really not yours to begin with. Maybe it's realizing you need a complete overhaul because you have invested so much time in your little kingdom with your little followers You know, things get real dicey when followers of Jesus start counting their own followers. Mm. They get real dicey when we start making ourselves a brand instead of wearing the brand that was paid for by death. Man, I don't know. I don't know what being fearless looks like for you. But I know that we need every single person in here to be fearless. Because God has placed us in this time, in this place with purpose. He has placed us not in the good old days, not in the future when everything's better. He has placed us now. And the same mission Paul had is our mission today. And we now have a chance to share each of our unique stories of grace with a world that is so desperate for life. 
We all have stories of grace that the details may change, but the plot remains, even for Paul. We are in utter sin and brokenness, and we have a God who relentlessly pursued us. And there is a blood covering that binds it all together in the only way that makes sense. Man, this is the platform that we have in this culture as this church. Somebody's going to be telling a narrative. Is it going to be us? Is it going to be us? So I want to I want to end with a, <clears throat> the rest of the story. I told you earlier about my blog post that went viral, but I want to I want to back up a little bit before that post because right before that viral post that launched into this whole whole speaking thing for me, I wrote a post uh, about our church, and it was written to my millennial friends who'd walked away from church. And it was basically like a, hey, I, I actually walked away too, but I'm back, and here's why you should try it again. That was kind of the vibe of the post. And I published it, and my preacher got a hold of it, and he texted me. He's like, man, that was so good. I sent it to all of our leaders. I sent it to all of our elders. I had an elder call me and say, oh, you have such a gift. Thank you for using it for the kingdom. And I was like, I sure do, don't I? I sure do have a gift. I mean, I knew it. I knew it. But like, this post got like 500 views, man. So do I ever have, I'm basically Beth Moore now, right? And in this moment of complete, just arrogance, I've never been leveled like I was that day in my bedroom. God humbled me on the floor and said, really? Really? This is what we do? Is this how we do? The gift that I've given you, when you start using it and it starts getting recognition, this is what happens here, little Beth? (laughs) And he's like, man, I'll let you have your kingdom if you want it, or you can have mine. If you want any kind of power, any kind of meaning, then we're going to go in mine. I almost deleted my blog after that because I was like, I don't ever want to be in that position again. What an idiot. I I don't want to be there again. But I didn't delete my blog, and it was a couple weeks later that he laid another message on my heart, and it was about social media. And it wasn't 500 views. It was millions of views. And it went out having nothing to do with me and everything to do with the Lord. And I almost missed it. I almost missed the chance to see God's power and how he can harness something that doesn't scare him. I almost missed it because I was too busy holding on to my cheap imitation of it. I don't want that for our church. I don't want that for God's people. We've got to do it better. And it's time that we take it back. Amen. Can we show our appreciation for Sarah for being here today? Thank you. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. I didn't blow it. Up. All right. Uh, he still didn't spirit finger. I do want to ask okay. the elders and prayer leaders, if you will, go around the room, uh, go to your places in the room to receive people for prayer. Often encourage people to do, try to develop prayer lives in a room where your phone and your screens are not present. I try to encourage people that when you wake up in the morning, reach for God before you reach for your device. Find your center before you begin trying to reach for what it is that can inform you about the world. 
And a great way to live is to live every day thinking, how today am I adding value to someone's life? Because most of you in here aren't going to ever have a platform or you have a post that's going to be seen by thousands, maybe not even hundreds of people, but there is a mission God has mm -hmm. placed in your life to add value to someone's life every day you live. I'm going to ask you to stand as a church, and I'm going to ask Sarah to pray over us. And then Kip's going to lead us in a couple of songs. And if there's anything that we can do for you as a church, you have leaders in this room who are here to receive you. And if there's someone, uh, you, if you, something you want to bring in front of the church, if you will, come to the front. We have elders that receive you up here. Will you close your eyes, bow your heads? And I want to ask you if you're willing where you are. Will you just open your hands to receive from God as we pray? Lord, what, what an incredible honor to be such a small part of your story. All of it points back to you. We sang every song we sang earlier. It is all about you, Jesus, and how quickly we forget that. But God, may this be a church that wakes up from its slumber. May this be a church that walks onto the mission field of this culture. May this be a church that, that stewards this incredible platform well. That in everything we do, we are pointing to life lived in you. That when we are living our life in a real gospel, it becomes really beautiful. May we be a church who is that, light bearers that go out in the world. There is no platform, nothing you cannot use, God. Use us. Send us. Show us what that looks like. Lord, we love you, and we want to be your warriors even here. It is in your precious name we pray. Amen.